Well, good morning to you. Let me take a moment while these folks are finding their way back to, to their seats out in the auditorium just to affirm our worship ministry. I will tell you, man, these folks put a lot of time um, preparing and, and getting things together from the, the planning of it and then just the preparation and to come into the service uh, after a week, many of you know this is true, after a week of hearing all of these negative messages being bombarded against us as we turn on our social media feeds, or we turn on the television set, or we listen to the radio and the newscast or uh, broadcasting all of the bad, they never give us the good news, right? And to be able to come into this place, even before we open up God's word, to hear good news proclaimed and uh, being born on, on the voices of our worship team and then you joining with them. Uh, man, I, I about raptured over here just a moment ago uh, when we were singing that new song that we were singing there, Christ is Mine Forevermore. Man, that, that sent the hair up on the back of my neck. And, uh, and to, to, to proclaim His goodness and His holiness and His worthiness. Um, and so it, I tell you, it, what, a, what a contrast, what, what we get to experience here versus what the world is experiencing out there. I, for the life of me, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I can't imagine why you would skip this on a regular basis. To gather with God's people and to sing about the goodness and the greatness of God and to sing it so that it can be sung to others and then it can be sung to you and then we can open up God's Word and read about how good and awesome and wonderful and mighty and incredible our God is. Why would you miss that? Amen? And just to be able to, to experience together this corporate gathering and relationship and to know the power of being together as one body, united in one faith under the one true God, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so let me encourage you, if, if you've sort of let the habit of gathering with God's people uh, sort of invade your weekly and monthly routine, it's time to to join back in with the body. I know some are watching by, uh, by internet right now and you're doing so for, for medical or physical reasons. We get that. I'm not talking to you. But uh, for those of you who are frequenting the doctor's offices and the, 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 the grocery stores and your place of business and sending your kids off to school, but you're checking out on Sunday morning, you are missing something incredible. You are missing being a part of the body of Christ you're missing a part of being the family of God together. And I promise you, as we're gathering together, that we're going to lift up the good. We're going to lift up the, the wonderful. We're going to lift up the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And you really can't experience that on your own behind a computer screen. It's something that is unique and dynamic to gathering together as the people of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know what's going on in the world, but I'm sure somebody out there right now is, tr is being canceled, right? We're living in a, this day and age called the, you know, the cance you know, cancel culture. And uh, it really doesn't apply to you and me so much. I mean, it, it's mostly to those who have some kind of, of major platform in the world. And if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, or maybe you did it about 20 years ago and repented of it, but somebody got video of it and now they're showing it, right? And if you're not with the right tribe, you're not a part of the right political group or socio, socio group, if you're not a part of, of the in group of people, 
then they don't want you around and they don't want you just to apologize that's not enough they want to eliminate you they want every trace about you removed they want you gone in a moment so i don't know what the latest cancellation thing is because i didn't check my social media feed today because there's always a new thing coming up i don't know if you noticed uh, what's been going on with this guy joe rogan right now listen, Joe Rogan, I'm not here to endorse him for or against him. What I do know is he has a podcast. It's one of the most listened to podcasts that you can find. And what's unique about him, he's a, he's a comedian. He's also the guy that was on television a few years ago uh, that would, you know, uh, dare people to eat things that normal people shouldn't eat. You know, he's, he's a crazy guy. But one of the unique things about his podcast, I've been told, is that he invites different voices on. He, he, he doesn't just have one group of people on one side. He'll invite the other side, and he'll just have a, a long talk and debate and discussion with them. Apparently, he allowed someone onto his podcast that uh, was going against the science. You know what the science is, right? The science is, well, it changes every day. I can't tell you what it is, right? <laughs> Without going any further into the story, he invited the wrong person that some in our culture believe was sending out the wrong messages, and so they wanted to cancel Joe Rogan. He's on Spotify, has a $100 million contract to do his podcast. How do I get in on that, by the way? And they want him off of Spotify. Uh, Neil Young, the, the, the former rock star, is, has decided that if they don't pull him off of Spotify, he wants his music off the Spotify music subscription and so on and so forth. And as I was reflecting upon this and waiting on whether or not he's going to survive it or not, who knows, but there's going to be another and another and another and another and another. Somebody's going to say something that goes against the norm and the wrong. They're going to break the rules and they're going to try to cancel them, right? And they used to say that we were the people all about the rules, right? <laughs> Here's my point. I don't know Joe Rogan. I don't know people like him. I, I, I don't know ab about people saying certain things and it goes against the cultural norm. But there's this new attitude in the world in that if you, you, you can do some wrong things, but if you cross certain lines, there is absolute no forgiveness at all. No forgiveness... In fact, if you apologize, it often makes it worse for you. But if, if you cross the, the, the wrong line, you're canceled forever. In other words, there's no possibility, no hope for a second chance at all. I will say this as the people of God, and part of the why I'm so encouraged to be here today and to be lifting up the voice, uh, our voices together and proclaiming our faith and trust and hope and the salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ is that we have a God who offers us second chances. Amen. And, and listen, this is important because we see the Christian faith, at least in this Western culture, is shrinking and it's, it's getting smaller. There are fewer and fewer people that are coming to churches anymore. Some churches are closing up and uh, we've sort of lost our message. But I'm telling you, church, listen to me. We have the message, a timely message right now in a culture that values cancellation and if you cross the line, you're done forevermore, that we have a message to counter that and it is the grace that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter how great your sin, no matter how strong of rebellion that you performed in your life, God allows do-overs through Jesus. You can be forgiven and you can be given a second chance. Today we're going to be looking at the story of Jonah. Because all of us, by the way, we, deep down we want to know that there's second chances, amen? 
We want to know that there is possibility beyond the mistake of this moment, my failure in this moment, that there is an opportunity for more, a possibility of forgiveness. Well, Jonah understands what that feels like in the most intimate and most specific of circumstances. And we're going to read about it here in our text today in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. So we want you to stand with me. We're going to read over into to chapter 3, down to verse 3, these in, in, important words of his story. Here's how it goes, verse 10 of Jonah chapter 2. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. If you don't see grace there and you don't see second chances there, while I pray, why don't you read that again, all right? Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word, and I also thank you for the already the, what we know to be true, that you are a God who allows do-overs. Because you are a merciful God. You are a God filled with grace. And Lord, I'm also grateful that no sin that we commit in this world, save that of unbelief, that there is no sin that your blood cannot atone for that your blood cannot offer forgiveness for. Praise you, Jesus, for your blood, for your sacrifice, for what you have done for us. Now, Lord, I pray that if there be any person here who has not yet experienced the grace and the mercy that your, your uh, salva salvation work has made possible, if they've yet to experience it, Lord, that today they find their do-over in you. This we ask and we pray. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen and amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Now we, over the course of these last few weeks, we've been in this sermon series called Grace to the City. The word grace, by the way, doesn't appear anywhere in this book, but it is all over the book. And, and, and God's desire for us to experience grace, but also to take the grace by which we have been saved and to share it with others, especially those in our own community, in our own city. Well, today we're going to be looking at the God of second chances, the God who offers do-overs. Because every time, each and every time that God calls you to do something, your response to that is the most important decision of your lifetime. Every time God calls you to be obedient, to, to go as he has called you, is a life-or-death situation for you spiritually. It is a call for you to be right in the center of his will. Because God wants every single one of you and me. He wants all of us to fulfill our purpose in life. God has called you. He has created you. He has given you a life purpose. And that is to live your life for His glory. To live a life of obedience to Him. So that your life is not about yourself, but it's about living to point others toward Him. But you know, there's an obvious problem to this. Because not everybody has a relationship with God. Not everyone is living their lives for his purposes and for his glory. Not everyone is living an obedient life. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is, is that so many of us, most of us, are not on the same page as God. God has one thing on his mind for us, but we're opting for a different thing. And this is why every single day, you and I, we face the most important decisions of our lives. That is, will you and will I, will we, uh, or will we not follow God's will for our lives? Will we live in accordance to His will and His word or not? 
Will we do and be what he has created us to do and to be, or will we not? This is something that the prophet Jonah faced in many ways. You know his story. He lived a long, long time ago, lived in a a faraway place, a different place and a different context than our own. But Jonah was still a human being like the rest of us. He still had the same struggles and and same challenges that we face. God had desired for him to to be known by him and have a relationship with him. And God wanted his life to be a success for him. And he wanted Jonah to fulfill his purpose in life. And all that Jonah had to do was just to to walk in his relationship with the Lord, to, to be in the center of his will. Now, God wanted Jonah to preach to the Ninevites. They were wicked people, as we'll talk about in a few moments. They were a wicked people, and they needed to turn to God, and so he called upon Jonah to go to Nineveh, the the great capital city of the Assyrian Empire, and to preach to the Ninevites because God wanted them to experience his mercy. Now, Jonah doesn't like this, and so unfortunately, he chooses poorly, and instead of doing what God has called him to do, he tried to go as far away as possible from Nineveh as he, as he possibly could, could, do, could go. So he hit the road, got on a boat, trying to hide from God's presence. And as he took a ship, this boat, he started heading to Tarshish on the far coast of Spain, as far away uh, from Nineveh as he thought he could go. And so we saw in the previous couple of chapters that Jonah is on the run. He is hiding from God, desperately running from God. And the thing that Jonah found out is that you cannot outrun God if God wants you. You can't do it. And that's what happened to Jonah. As Jonah was fleeing from God's presence and fleeing from the mission that he had been called to, God begins to pursue Jonah. And he sends a storm to warn him, though we know in the story that Jonah sleeps through the storm in the bottom of the boat of the ship. And then God speaks to him through some of the sailors on the ship who are running around trying to save themselves. They approach Jonah thinking that he is the cause and ask him, what do you mean, O sleeper? Arise and call to your God. And Jonah understood what was going on. He understood now why the storm was happening. And it was because of him and his disobedience and God's pursuit of him. But instead of saying, yeah, I need to repent and get right with God, he says to the sailors, if you want to be okay, toss me overboard. And so the sailors toss him overboard. And we learn also that God had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. But as we learned last time, the the great fish, though it may seem like it was God's judgment upon Jonah in the moment, it wasn't God's judgment on Jonah, but it was actually a second chance, an opportunity to make a do-over from God. Because God is going to use this great fish to save Jonah, to keep him from drowning, but give him another opportunity to turn back to God. It's what we call a do-over. And I'm here to tell you already that if you're not in a right relationship with the God who has created you, today, not tomorrow, not next week, not some other time when it's convenient, but today, you could experience a do-over. Today, you can turn back to God. Or for some of you who've never turned to Him for the first time, today, for the very first time, you can repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how far that you've run from God. You can have a do-over. You can have a second chance with God. Why? Because that's who God is. He is a God who allows do-overs. And that means something very important for you and me. I would hope, especially in this, this day and age, in this culture that does not want to give you a second chance that you know that there is a God who will give it to you. Now, this book is called the book of Jonah, but if we were to be honest, just like every other book in the Bible, it would probably be better titled as the book of God. 
Because even though it has Jonah's name on it, this, this story tells us far more about God than it will ever tell us about us or people like Jonah. So today I'd like for you to consider what Jonah's story tells us about the one true God. Based upon what we saw in Jonah's story last week, the, the very first thing that we're, we're going to learn, you, you already know this to be true, is that God is merciful. If this story tells us anything about God, is that he is a merciful God. When we sin, even when we sin blatantly and we rebel against him, God, though he would be pretty just to, to just strike us from the earth, he often responds with mercy. And his mercy, when he offers it, allows those of us who have failed him a do-over, a second chance. And if anyone had ever failed God, it was Jonah. Because God had told him to do one thing, and Jonah did another. And it was because of Jonah's disobedience that God began to send these tribulations his way. Now at the end of chapter 1, if you will remember it, when Jonah was top, tossed overboard, um, we find that God had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Well, now at the end of chapter 2, we see that God's commanding that fish again. Uh, and here's what we read there, verse 10, that the Lord, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I want you to think about the significance of this. After everything that Jonah had done wrong, having received God's call to be on mission for him, and after repeated actions of disobedience, and, and God responding, chasing them down, allowing them to be thrown overboard. It was just a mess in Jonah's life. That after all of this, God could have used that, that great fish to be God's final judgment upon Jonah. And instead of doing that, God uses it to offer him mercy, to save him. And we're told that he was thrown up on dry, dry land. This is more than likely somewhere along the coast of Israel. So if you can get the picture, wherever, however far out that Jonah had traveled with the sailors heading to Tarshish, Jonah gets spit over or thrown overboard, a great fish swallows him, and he's in the belly of that fish for three days, and while he's in the belly of that fish for three days, God is using that fish to swim on back to Jerusalem, to, to, to Israel, back to the Lord. Hope you see how God is working here. Again, what could have been God's instrument of judgment takes Jonah from a place of disobedience to a place of obedience. And isn't that really always the way that it is? God will afflict us from time to time with some measure of judgment against us to get our attention. And the whole point of that judgment is not just so we'll feel pain, but that God wants to, to waken us up to our disobedience in order that he would get us back to where we need to be. That, in other words, that judgment that he brings against us is intended to lead us back to obedience. That is mercy of the Lord and his grace at work. And if you look at this story, it's really honestly a moment of contrast. Jonah goes from the sea to dry land, from disobedience to obedience, from, from death in the sea to new life on land, from, from the grave of the dead to the land of the living. And it's such an incredible picture about the nature of our, of our merciful God. He is not a God who holds grudges, amen? Oh, listen, let me say that again. Aren't you glad that the God of the universe who spoke everything into, into being, the same God that rained down fire and brimstone upon the earth in times past, who struck people dead for lying, is also a God who doesn't have, hold grudges? Woo! I'm grateful, and I'm grateful that 
in, in times past in my own life when I certainly deserved the greatest judgment that God could offer me, that he chose not to give it to me. You see, even though you may turn your face away from him, here's the great news about our God. He often allows us to start over. That's right. You can start over if you want to. Do-overs are possible. But you need to know that it's not automatic and it certainly may not be easy. In fact, it may not even be a pretty sight. I mean, God didn't transport Jonah back to Jerusalem with a snap of the fingers, though he could have done that, right? He doesn't do that. In in fact, he didn't find himself on the beach all clean-shaven and freshly showered and a little bit of deodorant on, and not at all. The fish vomited him out upon the land, right? He spit him up and everything else that was in the fish's belly. It wasn't pretty, but by golly, it was far better than being in the fish's belly. So how did this happen? How did Jonah find himself back on dry land? Well, we saw it last week because Jonah repented. Jonah repented. He was going against God, against his will, living a life of disobedience and rebellion. And Jonah repented of all of that. He he turned uh, from his sinful ways and and repented of his sinful decisions. And if you want to start over, if you want to do over, guess what you have to do? You've got to repent. You know, no one wants to go through the starting over part. Nobody wants to really repent because it's an acknowledgement of how wrong we are. It's a moment of of giving up of one's pride and and acknowledging that that you're nothing and that you're you're worthless and that you've, you've done nothing good. It's a recognition that there's nothing good within you to fix your situation. Nobody wants to endure that kind of humiliation. But I'm telling you, friend, that starting over requires humility. Lots of it. All of it. It requires you humbly lowering yourself as low as you need to be. That's what happened to Chuck Colson. If you know much about Chuck Colson's story, Chuck is with the Lord these days. But Chuck Colson was one of Richard Nixon's top aides in the White House. If you know much about Chuck Colson's story, you know that he he came out of poverty, lived during the Depression. He remembers uh, seeing the bread lines during the Great Depression and He worked very hard uh, out of that childhood and went off to Brown University, got a degree, went off into the military, served in the U.S. Marine Corps, was uh, recognized uh, for his service as a a commissioned lieutenant in the Marines. Um, A lot of people looked at him with great favor after he got out of the Marine Corps, after the Korean War. uh, He uh, decided he wanted to have a law degree, so he went off to school again, earned a law degree, and pursued a career in politics and became the youngest administrative assistant in the U.S. Senate. He said, I can remember thinking, I'll, I'll find my meaning and purpose in the law and politics. He said, I went up the ladder. The law firm grew and was successful, and he said, as the, at the age of 39, the President of the United States asked me to come and to serve as a special counsel. He also said this, he said, the White House works just like it does for those of you in business. You've all had the the same experience. When I went to the White House, you get an office way down the hall from the president, and then you move yourself closer and closer and closer. He said, I ended up in the office immediately next to the president of the United States. He said, I remember looking out one day over the South Lawn, the beautiful manicured green lawns of the White House, and thinking to myself, My father was right. He used to tell me that in in those depression years that if you work hard, if you put your mind to something, if you really go for it, that's the great American dream and you can succeed. He said, walking in and out of his office every day of the week, one of the most powerful positions in the world, limousines outside waiting for me, admirals and generals saluting. 
If you know much of Chuck Colson's story, all of that came crashing down in 1974 because of the Watergate scandal that traced its way all the way to Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson pled guilty in that scandal, that, uh, the very scandal that ended the, the Nixon presidency. On the 20th anniversary of Watergate, he, he did an interview with Mike Wallace. And Wallace asked him, Chuck, how do you now look back on Watergate? And here's what he said. Colson said, Mike, thank God for Watergate. That low moment of his life, he said, thank God for Watergate. Because I learned the greatest lessons of my life, the teaching of Jesus is true. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake shall find it. I share with you Chuck Colson's story to say this. Your life may be a mess. It may look like a mess. It may be an actual mess. And you may have disobeyed God and you may have done so repetitively over and over and over and over again. And right now you may be suffering the consequences of some very poor decisions of disobedience. But it might just be possible that God is using those circumstances of your life in this moment to get your attention and that as hard as it may be in this moment and you may not want to see it like this, that those difficult moments are actually an expression of the mercy of God towards you. That God is using those, th those moments, that, that judgment that you find yourself under as a way to get your attention, to call you back, to remind you that you can start over. That's because He is a merciful God and He allows second chances. There's something else about this story that tells us something about God that I want to share with you because God is merciful. We have this encouraging hope too, that God is not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. Occasionally I'll come across someone who has sinned and sinned deeply, often pretty badly, and, and yes, they may have repented of their sin, but they really have trouble getting past their past mistakes. And, and they think, you know, God, God, after all I've done, I just can't see God using me anymore. So here's my thought when I, when I come across someone who says, you know, I sinned so badly, I'm just, I've messed it all up. God can never use me again. My thoughts are this, if you're still breathing, God can still use you. If you are still breathing, God still has something for you to do. I mean, remember, he, he could have judged you outrightly and, and stricken you from the planet. He's done it before, but he didn't do it in your case. And so if you're still alive, even though he could have taken you out, he didn't. Which means he's not done with you. He still has purpose for your life on this earth. It was true for Jonah. Remember, Jonah had been called to a mission and as we're going to see, Jonah gets called again, and it's because God is not done with him. You remember the original call that God gave to Jonah back in chapter 1? In fact, look back there. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now remember, Jonah is God's prophet. And from time to time, the, the word of the Lord would come from the Lord to a prophet and would come to people like Jonah and they would then go declare God's word to his people. And every, every time that it, it came to Jonah as God's prof, prophet to go speak a word on God's behalf, we can well imagine that it thrilled Jonah to the core of his being. But in chapter 1, as we've seen it, God called him to speak to a people that are not his own people, not Jonah's people. God calls Jonah to go preach against the Ninevites and when that happens, suddenly the thrill is gone. You know why the sudden change? Because the, the Ninevites, also known as the Assyrians, they are Jonah's enemy. They, they are Israel's enemy. 
the Assyrians were, were known as a very barbaric people, very violent people. They worshipped idols, practiced violence and cruelty against those that were not a part of their own people. And, and how cruel were they? Were they? Well, it was very known to how cruel they were. They were the, one of the strongest military forces in the world at that time. And when they would conquer an enemy, some of the things that they would do is they would take the, the heads of their victims and they would you know, chop their heads off. Uh, many times before they did that, they, they, the victims were staked out and they would flay their skin, cut their skin off of them while they were alive, often capitating them, bashing their heads in. How do we know this? Because when you look at Assyrian art from that, from that generation, instead of, you know, you know, having pictures of their mamas and their babies, they actually, in their artwork, depicted the violent acts that they performed against other people. It was sort of their way of advertising uh, in a self-way, self uh, self-advertised brutality. They were also known to disembowel children and to rip open the bellies of pregnant women and pull the unborn babies out. These, are a, these were a very, very wicked, evil, bad group of people. And so it was these kind of people that Jonah was called to go preach so that they would repent and get right with God. And Jonah didn't like this. After all of their cruelty, after everything they've done, after all of their wickedness, you want to give them a second chance, God? And yet God had given him a very specific command to arise, to stand up, to go and to preach against their wickedness. Well, we see that the, the, Jonah's tragic decision in his own life in the, at the beginning uh, of, of, of verse 3 of chapter 1. But Jonah, remember that? But Jonah arose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God had told him to do one thing. Jonah does another thing. And when he was doing that, Jonah was thumbing his nose at God, outright rejecting God. So God brings judgment upon Jonah. And that should have been it for Jonah, as we've talked about. It should have been the end of Jonah's life on this earth. But it wasn't. Why? Because God's not done with Jonah. God's not done with him yet. He still has a purpose and a plan for his life. Go back to Jonah chapter 3 and look at verses 1 and 2. And I want you to see how this looks similar to what we saw at the beginning of the book. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So again, back in chapter 1, God tells Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Now in chapter 3, after Jonah has repented, mind you, God tells Jonah, arise, go to that great city. I'm not done with you, Jonah. I'm not done with you. It, it, it tells us that God has a plan for Jonah's life. It's the same plan that he had for Jonah before he rebelled. And I will tell you, a few weeks back, I, I shared my own story. I just alluded to it more than anything, my own rebellion in my life. I want to share a little bit more detail about that, about how I almost rejected my call to ministry. You know, I'd received my call to ministry a couple of years into my, my college uh, tenure. In fact, I was a sophomore, and and, and felt God's calling upon my life. And uh, as I was continuing through my school, I was trying to get my four-year degree then, so then I could go off to, to seminary and pursue, continue to pursue my calling. At the time, I was working on a communications degree from the University of West Florida. And as a part of my communication degree, I actually have a, a minor in radio, television, and film. Um, I actually have eight credit hours. That's right, eight credit hours in film history, all right? Uh, so I, I used to sit in class and watch movies and critique them. That was part of what I did. Uh, but I spent a lot of time on the film and television side of things. And one of the things I got to do, my, my favorite professor, who I became quite close to, had uh, received some grant money uh, uh, to put together a documentary 
that ultimately was aired on PBS. It was aired throughout uh, the country. And uh, I went off on a trip with him. Uh, two or three of my fellow classmates went. And an interesting thing happened while we were on the photo shoot, on, on the film location. The more and more that we worked, I, I began to notice that I would begin to frame shots and set up, uh, set up some of the, the, the interviews and things. The more that I worked, the more that my professor started to back away because he would make decisions and I would point out some of the, some of the problems that he had in his decisions. And I began to realize that I had a gift for the, the television and film uh, medium. In fact, my, my professor, after going off on that trip, he pulled me aside and he said to me, he said, I'm going to tell you something. I don't say this very often. He says, you will have great success in the industry. Now, mind you, I've already received my calling into the ministry. I have plans to go off to school. I feel God's called me to ministry. But as that began to in, get into my head and I enjoyed the work, it, it, honestly, all of it went into my head. And, and it, Part of it was youthfulness, maybe some of it was sinfulness, but I, I began to have thoughts and dreams of Hollywood, believe it or not. I had a knack for writing, I, I had started some screenplays, and, and meanwhile, while all that's going on, I'm, I'm also working full-time at a church, and the more that I was spending time doing the film work and trying to balance school and, and film work and life back in ministry, the more that my time in the ministry became a little bit by little bit in small increments more and more detestable to me. And I won't get into the weeds of everything that happened, but I will tell you this, that God chased me down just like he chased down Jonah, knocked my feet out from under me, knocked me down, and I was at a very, very dark place and found myself literally face down on the floor trying to figure out how I got to where I was. And in that darkest of places, lowest of places, God was forcing me to consider his call again. And I, I remember in, the, in those deep and dark moments, crying out to the Lord, saying these words. And you've heard me say this before. Lord, I, I know I've rejected your call, and I know I, I, I didn't deserve your call the first time, and I certainly don't deserve it now. But here's what I said. Lord, I will go anywhere, and I will do anything, and I will forsake anyone to be in the center of your will. And because I prayed that, Friend, I'm standing in front of you today. I'm standing in front of you, not because of anything I did, but because my God offered a second chance to someone who was willing to repent. I'm so glad that he, he wasn't done with me and that he's not done with me yet. You see, you may have a similar experience. God has called you to, to do something, to be something, but you've tried to run from it. I'm here to tell you, based on Jonah's story, that God still has a plan and a purpose for you. Even if you've turned your back on him before, if you're still breathing, God's not done with you. And will he call you right back to where he, where he was calling you before? Maybe, maybe not. That's for him to decide. Remember, when Jonah repented and decided to return, he, he returned not to Nineveh, but he returned to the Lord. Remember that in the last part of the story? He, was, he wasn't in the belly of the fish saying, okay, God, I'm going to go to Nineveh. No, he began to think and, and to dream about getting back to the temple, back to the, to the presence of the Lord, back before the Lord. And that's because when Jonah fled, he wasn't really fleeing the mission. He was fleeing from the Lord. He was fleeing toward a life of disobedience of the Lord, and now he's wanting to, to live a life of obedience to him. And when he had finally repented and returned, he, he had no idea that the Lord was going to send him back to Nineveh. For, as far as he knew, God had already tapped somebody else to go. That's not what happened. 
Nevertheless, whether the Lord sent him there or not, he, God wasn't done with Jonah, not yet. And so I say to you, friend, it's not too late. You can still find your purpose in life. And that's because, number three, final point, God allows do-overs. Just because you have a pattern of disobedience in your life doesn't mean you have to keep being disobedient. Just because you keep going against the Lord and going against the Lord and going against the Lord doesn't mean you have to keep on that path. Jonah was given a do-over here, another opportunity to follow God's will. You'll see it in verse 3. This is what should have been said in verse 3 of chapter 1, but now we're seeing it in chapter 3, verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. God told him, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. And the response is that Jonah so arose and went to Nineveh. When God first gave him that instruction, it was the most important decision of his life, and he chose poorly. And now that God was giving him the same command the second time, again, it's the most important decision of his life. Each and every time God calls you to do something, it is the most important decision of your life because God said it. It's the most important decision, whether it's the first call, the second call, the third call. I pray it's not the final call. But if it is, friend, you better say yes because every time He calls us to obedience, it is the most important decision of your life and mine. You might not have chosen right the first or the second time, but you can, uh, after the, rejecting him the first time, you can choose right the second time. And if you ch- rejected him the second time, then do right the third time. And that's only possible because our God allows do-overs. Now, Jonah was allowed a redo, a mulligan, if you will. And he completely obeyed the Lord the second time. Notice at the end, uh, in the middle of verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, and note this, according to the word of the Lord. You catch that last phrase there? Jonah obeyed according to the word of the Lord. Whatever God wanted him to do, that's exactly what Jonah did. It wasn't partial obedience. It was complete obedience. It was everything. He was basically fulfilling the prayer, Lord, I will do anything, go anywhere, and forsake anyone to be right in the the center of your will. Whatever God wanted him to do, that's exactly what Jonah did. He obeyed God on God's terms, not his. And friend, if you want a second chance, a a do-over like Jonah, you've got to completely obey God just like Jonah. See, when I reflect back on my journey, you know, my my problem at first, when when I sort of turned from God's calling upon my life, I wanted to obey God on my terms. You see, when I began to, to say, you know, maybe God's not calling me to be a pastor or a minister, or maybe he's calling me to be, uh, uh, you know, work in the Hollywood industry. You know, Hollywood needs more Christians. You know, that was my, my byline. And in fact, here's what I said. I sort of Christianized my decision. I said, I proclaimed that I was going to, you know, I believe God was calling me, but he's calling me to make Christian movies. You know what I was doing? Because God didn't tell me to do that. But what I was doing is I was blaming God for my disobedience. I mean, how many times have we said, you know, God is leading me to do this when he's really not leading us to do that, right? We put it on him. We blame him when it's not truly the case. And when I was doing that, I was, I was trying to obey God on my terms, not his. I wanted to set the terms of our agreement and our relationship when he and he alone deserved to do that. You see, in order for you to experience God's mercy and His grace and to continue to, to, to be used to the Lord and to experience His do-over, you've got to obey God on His terms and not your own. It's what He wants for you. Otherwise, you're not going to have the, the turnaround that you need or want. 
I told you at the beginning that, the, that this book of Jonah should be called the book of God because it really does. It tells us more about God than anything. But you know, actually that could be said of the Bible. I mean, this, this incredible book, this incredibly, incredible story is really proclaiming that our God is a merciful God and, and, and that he has a purpose and a plan for us and that he allows do-overs. One of the most amazing moments in all of Scripture occurs in the third chapter of Genesis. Because after Adam and Eve, along with all of creation, have been created and they, they have a, a relationship with God and know God and are known by God and interact with God the way it was intended for them to be and for all of us to, to, to know and to be known by God, that, that life was perfect in paradise in the very presence of the one true God. And they blew all of that out of the water for them and for all of us when they sinned and sin came into the world. But one of the most incredible moments in all of the Bible comes in Genesis 3 when God decides not to snuff them out. He gave them everything that they needed. Everything that they wanted or would desire, He gave them everything. All He desired in response was for them to live obediently to His rules. And it's a wonder that this book doesn't stop in Genesis 3 with a big kablooey, right? And they're gone. A big lightning bolt comes from the sky and they're wiped out and God recreates again. But he doesn't do that. For me, that's one of the most significant moments in the story. In fact, what we then see, what begins to unfold from that moment is God's plan of a redo. Because God has a plan. His plan wasn't thwarted. But God has a plan that he begins to work out. He calls a people, and through that people would, would come the ultimate one, the chosen one, the Christ, Jesus, who, being both God and man in the same person, being God in the flesh, would be born into this world like all of us, but born differently because he wasn't born with, a, with the curse of sin upon him. He lived a perfect life. And one day, at the age of 33, he went to the cross and laid out his life upon the cross, his blood being poured out from his hands, his side, his feet. He died. And in his death, he offered an atoning sacrifice for you and me. He died the death that we deserved. And by his death, by his blood, he purchased us. Because all of us, from Adam and Eve's line to this moment, we are all sinners. We're not like Jesus. We have been born with sin. The curse of sin is upon us. We have lived our lives, our very lives. We've been living like Jonah lived in that moment. We've been running from God because of our sin. And yet the God of do-over says, look, I'm going to give you an opportunity for a, for a second chance with me, humanity, and that is through a relationship with me through Jesus Christ. But you must believe in him and repent. Turn from your wicked ways and turn to me. See, anybody, anyone here who may recognize that they're not right with God and may have never been right with God, your relationship with God begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is God. And he came to offer his life and to pay the penalty of your sin. You and I deserve to die for our sin, but Jesus paid that penalty so that we could live and we can live eternally. And if you do not know Jesus today, today is your blessed, merciful day because God's grace is being offered to you. And today, you can be right with the God who has created you, the God who is giving you an opportunity at a second chance. But you must repent of your sins and believe in Him.
In just a moment, we're going to have a word of prayer, and I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to have some pastors following the service. Uh, one, at least one will be over here by the cross, and if you're here today and you would, would like to truly know that you've experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ and experienced the forgiveness that God can make available for you, please, please do not leave this building without getting it right with the Lord today. And our pastors are here available to talk with you about that and how you can trust Him as your Savior and as your Lord. Before I pray, Christian, listen to me. I've said it repeatedly through this series that when God calls you to do a thing, it is the most important decision of your life every single time. And just as he called Jonah to go to those people that Jonah felt didn't deserve the goodness of God, didn't deserve his mercy, didn't deserve to hear a message of repentance, there are people outside of these doors that God is calling us to go to. And regardless of our opinion about that, we've got to go. The call to go right now is the most important decision of your life and mine because God has told us to go, period. He's called us. This afternoon, and Pastor BJ is going to be coming here in a few minutes as we close out, we're going to have an opportunity to gather at 2 o'clock and we're going to have a brief church family meeting. We've got some business that we deal with, just some minor things. And then we're going to, we're going to be launched out into the community for a time of prayer. It's part of our reach emphasis for this year. And we're going to have some prayer walking. We'll go out into the communities and we'll, we'll pray for those of you physically able to do so. We'll, we'll allow, you know, we want you to actually physically get out and walk neighborhoods. If you say, I can't do that, I'm not in physically good enough shape, uh, you have a car, you have a vehicle, and we'll, we'll talk with you about how you can do that as well. We believe that God loves this community and wants to see this community come to know Christ. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that part of the reason why we're not seeing more people come to faith in Jesus is because we're not praying about it. We're not praying for the opportunities. And yes, we can pray anywhere. I get that. But part of the reason why we're going to go out into the community is that we want to get out where the people are. We, we want to be present there. and We're going to pray maybe even for some opportunities to share Jesus as the Lord leads us. But we want to begin to see the lostness around us and the responsibility that we have. And the last thing that we need to do is to be fleeing to Tarshish when God is calling us to go to Nineveh. So I hope to see you there today. And let's just begin to pray that God would send workers into his harvest, that we would see a host of people coming to know Jesus through this ministry. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm grateful for the, the, the second chances that you give us because you are such a merciful, merciful God. In fact, Lord, there's not a one of us here that deserves to be here and not a one of us that hasn't already experienced your mercy and your grace in some form or fashion. But Lord, I pray for any person here or anyone who's watching us online who's hearing the message of, of your grace and your mercy that you are a God who allows do-overs, that today someone would say, yes, Lord, I, I finally get it. I don't deserve your salvation, but I, I want it. I don't deserve your forgiveness, but I desire it. And Lord, encourage them to respond in kind and faith. But also for your people, Lord, it's time for us to stop talking, just talking a big game and talking about reaching people that don't know you. And it's time for us to start doing it. Lord, you have called us, commanded us to go and make disciples. 
And Lord, we may not, we may not have fled to Tarshish, but we have in our hearts and in our spirits. Lord, it's time for us to repent of that and then turn back to you to get right back in the center of your will. And Lord, maybe, just maybe, you'll give us a second chance to reach this, reach this community for you. This is my prayer. I pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's